Well, as we continue marching through verse by verse in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave us, we'll be at Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verses 33 through 37. So you could go ahead and turn there. And this morning, Jesus is going to confront us and teach us about something very, very important. And that is that we need to be very careful about taking oaths in God's name, and we need to be people who are are truthful and honest and honor our word and follow through with what we pledge. That will be the heart of this morning's sermon. And let me just kind of set it up like this. We, we live in an age that is in a truth crisis. Maybe this has been going on forever, but the truth is being beaten and surrendered day in and day out in our culture. We are accustomed to politicians not telling us the truth. In fact, I would say that some of us expect our politicians to not tell the truth so that they'll get elected and then do what we want them to do, right? And that's an indicator that we have slayed the truth for something we consider to be a greater cause. We, we are accustomed to merchandisers and retailers lying to us in the marketing of their products. Let me give you an example. How many times do we see on a new product introduction or a, a, a revamp, new and improved? Now think about that for a moment. How can it be new and improved? It's either old and improved or it's new, but it can't be new and improved. So even the little bitty things that are going on in our culture are not truthful, and we are so conditioned to it that we don't even catch it. So a lot of our culture and a lot of our relationships and a lot of our society is based on mistruths. This last week, we've got a glaring example in Major League Baseball. This last week, um, probably my favorite Ranger, Nelson Cruz, is among many who were accused of using human growth hormone steroids to improve their performance. This first came out back in January, and Nelson Cruz uh, hired a law firm the minute these accusations came out, and his law firm said this on January 31st. We are aware of certain allegations and inferences. To the extent that these allegations and inferences refer to Nelson, they are denied. Well, this last week, we get a full confession from Nelson, don't we? That he took human growth hormone back in 2011 to combat an ailment that he had that caused him to lose 40 pounds. And so now we see that what he had his attorney say in January was an untruth. It was a pledge to honesty that was not honored. But the situation doesn't stop there. Let me, let me show you how twisted our culture is. That's, that's not telling the truth in one sense, but watch this. In the days that have followed, there are many, in most of these are press people, but some in, in society in general, there are many that are now accusing Nelson Cruz of being selfish. He was selfish in that he took the steroids to improve his healing, to speed up and expedite his healing and his performance. But now there are those that are saying he is selfish in that he has not appealed his suspension. Now, what would an appeal of this suspension be right now? It would be a lie because you appeal a suspension when you say that suspension is not 
just that I did not do as you have accused me, and so I'm going to appeal it to get this overturned. When he has already admitted to not telling the truth and to cheating in baseball. So now there are people that are saying, lie by appealing so that you can play for the Rangers the rest of the season and we can go to the World Series. You see how there is no concern for the truth to be lived out in this situation with Nelson Cruz? It's very vivid. And it goes on in all circles of life. It goes on with corporations who distort their books to get lines of credit from the large banks to expand their businesses. And over and over and over. We as a people at large are very conditioned to embrace a culture of dishonesty and deceit. And Jesus says to us this morning that we, if we are going to be his disciples, we are to be different from the world. Let me put this more personally. Here's how I washed this over me during the week. Jesus says, if you are to be my follower, you're not going to look like the world when it comes to lying. You're not going to be an angry person that's murderous. You're not going to be a lustful person that's adulterous. You're not going to be a person that disavows pledges made at the wedding altar. And you're not going to be a person in general conversations and general actions with people that does not honor your word. And let's look at the text, Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Do not swear by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by the city of, the, of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything other than this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, would you please confront us where we need to be confronted and instruct us where we need to be instructed. And would you cause us to be a repentant people as we see your scriptures against our lives and where they don't line up. And would you forgive us for our sinfulness as a result of hearing this message this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus opens this teaching like he does the others that have preceded this for the last few weeks by quoting the Old Testament law. And he quotes a passage or a concept that's presented to us in at least three places in the Old Testament. The first one is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Listen to this. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. That's, that's what Jesus is quoting from. In Numbers 30, verse 2, it says this. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. And I'll give you one more, Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, and shall not de- you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. 
So there's a lot of passages in the Bible about making oaths and about vowing and about honoring what you've made commitments to. I want to start by saying or showing you what I think it means to swear or to make an oath. Okay, we need to understand that concept and set that as the platform for what we base everything else in this message on. To swear is to affirm the truth of a statement while calling on God to judge you if it is untrue. Whoa. To make a vow, to pledge an oath of any kind is to invoke God's wrath upon you and judgment upon you if it turns out to not be true. I think it does us good at times to define what an oath is and to go, wow, this is really an interaction, a relationship with God. So often people lie and say, I can pull the wool over somebody's eyes, but you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. And so this this vow, this swearing that we're doing, we're going to see in this passage from Jesus, it actually involves the Lord God himself. And we are called over and over in Scripture to honor the words that pass across our lips and to fulfill them as we have pledged them to be fulfilled. And I will say this. In a, in a perfect world, there is no need for an oath, is there? There's no need for a vow. The fact that we are making vows is an indicator that something has gone wrong in the world and someone's word cannot be trusted. And so it's got to be backed up with all these oaths and swearings so that we can get you to really believe me. That's what's going on when we make an oath. So it's an indicator that something went wrong long ago. And here's what Jesus says now about swearing. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's the throne of God. By the earth, for it's his footstool. By Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Even if you dye your hair, you're not doing anything because at its roots, it's the color God decreed it to be and it will grow out and be exposed for what it really is. Doesn't say that in the passage, but I think that's fair to say. So don't dye your hair. No. That's a different message. So Jesus says here, don't take an oath at all. There are some that have taken that quite literally. There are uh, people out there, there's the Mennonites, the Quakers, the Anabaptists, who flat out have refused to take an oath. They will not even serve in court. They will, they will pledge out of jury duty because I am not going to take an oath. Jesus said, don't take an oath at all. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I think Jesus is talking about in our everyday conversations as we relate to one another, we don't need to be oath proclaimers. We're going to see in a moment we need to say yes or no, and we don't need all these words justifying or backing up and substantiating our yeses or our noes. So Jesus is not condemning oaths in a court of law or a marriage ceremony or other venues, okay? We are to be engaged in the civil activities of our government. That's how we can be salt and light in this world. And to say, I cannot go into the court system. I cannot be a legislator. I can't be a congressman. I can't run for governor or president would mean that no Christian could be running for president. How do you want that, America? You want to sign up for that one? So no, this is not a prohibition against oaths blanket, but this is talking about in our everyday speech and in our personal relationships with one another. And scripture will show us amply that there are places for oaths in our lives. 
Let me look at a few of those with you. I've got two that we'll look at in particular. There are biblical justifications for oaths. First of all, God himself makes oaths. In fact, I will tell you that this entire Bible is God making oaths and promises with many words to assure us that he will do what he has said. Okay? So the Bible is a book of oaths, promises. In Hebrews 6, 17 through 18, it says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God gave a word and then he backed it. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So here we see that God gave us his word. He then guaranteed it with an oath. And both of these things, his word and his oath, are unchangeable because God cannot lie. The oath was given in addition to the word so that we, you and me, might have strong confidence and encouragement that what he said will come to pass. Now, why did God make this oath? I think God made this oath because in our fallen nature, we are people that don't trust others, right? When sin came into the world, lies came into the world, and we have been lied to, and the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to have been lied to so much, I think God in his graciousness oathed, made an oath to substantiate his words because of our fallen nature, and we needed a strong encouragement from him that he will do what he said. But this was not an oath so that God would hold himself accountable to do what he said. Because God just needs to say yes and no. In fact, we'll see a passage on that at the end of this message. There's another example that I can give you. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 13 letters. And I think in every one of these books that Paul wrote, he makes an oath. Uh, in Romans 1, nine, 2 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Thessalonians 2.5 and 10, Philippians 1.8, he says, For God is my witness... And then he continues his message. He is instilling the name of God into his speech and saying, basically, I swear to God what I say to you is true. Now, what's going on here? Did Paul not take Jesus' teachings? Do not make an oath at all, literally? Is he blowing off? Is he running through Jesus' stop sign on oath making? Not at all. Paul is assuring his readers just like God assured us in Hebrews chapter 6. And I would say to you, do not forget, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to make an oath here. By God alone is my witness what I'm telling you is true. This is not Paul writing in total freedom. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there's just two quick examples that we can see that there is a place in God's kingdom for oaths. And these oaths are justifiable if they are consistent with God's character. So there's places for oaths. We don't need to say that we need to shut down the oath-making process, business. But what are we to make of these examples that Jesus has given us in this passage? Because there's some strange language here that we don't readily identify with. He says we're not to make an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Let's just look at that one first. And we'll look at it with also the earth, for it is God's footstool. Jesus quotes basically from Isaiah 66.1 and it says this, 
Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So Jesus is saying, don't swear by heaven and don't swear by earth because those are instruments that God uses. They are his throne and they are his footstool. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 22, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. And so Jesus is speaking here of these false oaths that are not really directed to God, but in, te- in fact, they are all about God. Let me introduce to you what's going on here. The Pharisees of the day, the Pharisees of the day had a real funny logic about oath-taking. We've talked about the Mishnah, a rule book that rabbis wrote during Jesus' day and actually before. And it had reams and reams of paper of, of individual specific laws about Sabbath and how much work, what constituted work. We've talked about that on a Sunday night. It even had a large section on oath-taking. And in there, I'll just give you an example. In there, uh, one rabbi wrote that if you swore by Jerusalem, if you swore by Jerusalem, you were not bound by your oath. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, you were bound by your oath. Okay? And so Jesus here is teaching about taking oaths by heaven, taking oaths by earth, taking oaths by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And he's saying, no, 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 this rule system that the Pharisees and the rabbis have established, this is all bunk. Do not buy this stuff. I'm telling you that heaven is the throne of God. And so if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God. And earth is God's footstool. And if you swear by earth because God made it and puts his feet on it, you're swearing by God. And don't say this Jerusalem trick where you swear by it or towards it. No, Jerusalem is the city of the great king, the city of Jesus Christ himself. Jerusalem exists because God said Jerusalem shall exist. So when you swear by it, you are swearing by God who made it and who is over it and who is behind it. And then he goes on to say, do not even take an oath by your head because who in the world are you? You cannot make one hair white or black. You have no sovereign control over the color of your hair. Hair dye aside. You have no control. And so basically Jesus is saying, any oath you make is an oath to and before God because all things are from him and through him and by him and to him. So don't do it. Do not do it. I swear by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and the head were viewed by many Jews as to be less binding than to swear by God. And so they played these tricks with the law. And you know what? You and I do this all the time. This has been passed on to us. What do we do? I swear to you, it's true, right? We cross our fingers and put it behind our back. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. If you swear by Jerusalem, you're fine. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, you've got to do it. That's crossing your fingers and putting it behind your back and saying, even though I say this to you, this is covering it and I'm really not bound to it. And we do this over and over in all kinds of scenarios in our life, don't we? We do this in our relationship with our spouses. Uh, I'll be home at six. I promise I'll leave the office and I'll be home at six. And I know better than that. 
Because I know I'm not going to follow through with that. I need to even take that oath and honor it to the fullest. Guilty as charged. And so Jesus says this in another place in Matthew as it, as it relates to this swearing by heaven, earth, and Jerusalem. He says to these Pharisees, So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And so Jesus means to us very clearly, any oath that we swear by, it is an oath before God, the maker and creator and sustainer of all things. And anything that we swear by owes its existence to God. And so now, what is the heart of Jesus' message to us this morning? I like it said like this. You and me are to be people of very few words. Let me unpack that for you. But you and I are to be a people of very few words. Because Jesus says here, let what you say simply be what? Yes or no. Anything more than this, he says, comes from evil. So we are to be a people, you and I, who are characterized by integrity so much that when we speak a word, yes or no, it is as good as an oath to the person that we're speaking to. Now just stop for a minute and do a quick audit of your heart and your mouth and what comes from it when you make a pledge. Are you known... By your spouse, by your kids, by your employer, by your fellow church member as a person that when he says it, it's as good as done. Because that's the standard Jesus is calling for. He wants his disciples to be so integrity laden that when we just say, yes, I'll be there, the recipient says, that is a pledge before God and it's as good as done. Is that who you are? Because that's who Jesus is calling you and me to be. We are to speak the truth so well that they are viewed as oaths without us making oaths. And I will tell you that when we have to prop up our pledges with all these oaths and all these promises, we have exposed ourselves as frauds, really and truly. And here's a proverb that speaks to that very issue. Proverbs ten nineteen: When words are many... Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I think you know what I'm talking about. When we make these frequent oaths or we are talking with someone and they say, I guarantee you I did it. The minute we hear that, we're starting to say, I don't think he did it. I assure you as certain as I'm standing here that it happened. Hmm. Can I trust that? There's something in there that's ringing hollow to me. And you will encounter people, and I pray you're not one of these people, and if you are, I pray you'll leave here changed. We will run into these people in the world that just spew out guarantees and oaths and absolutes when they're just trying to tell us something simple. And the more these pledges come out and these oaths come out, I will tell you the more you should start not trusting what you are hearing. Because where the words are many, there is iniquity, probably. That's the proverb. When the words are many, there is probably folly and transgression waiting in the wings. I've got an example of this. There was a time when I was in the business world and I encountered a man who violated a company policy. And it was a big one. It was a massive one. 
and in my investigation and in my interrogation of this man to find out what he had done or had not done, he got so frustrated at one point that he began to say, Edward, I guarantee you I did not do this. You bring in here a stack of Bibles and I will swear on them I have not done this. The minute he said that is the minute I knew he was guilty. Because grown men don't say, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles unless they're guilty. That's what three-year-olds say, if they can even think about that at that age. That's what young boys say when they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, right? But he makes this oath, and by the way, do not ever swear on a stack of Bibles about anything, true or untrue. We take the scriptures more reverently than that. And so there's an example of an oath maker that is exposing his guilt. And I will tell you that a week later, as I continued to grind on him, he came forth and confessed all. Just like Nelson Cruz. And it's happening everywhere. You have had a scenario that I just described, no doubt, happen with you in people that you've interacted with. And so frequent swearing is almost a certain sign of untrustworthiness. So let us be a people who say yes or no, and that is it. And then watch what Jesus says here. He says anything else beyond yes and no comes from evil. Um, I like a translation a little bit better that says comes from the evil one. Your, your Bible probably has a footnote that notes that there. I think it's better rendered an evil one. Well, we need to look at that and understand who the evil one is. And I would ask you to turn with me real quick to John eight forty four. John eight forty four is Jesus again encountering these Pharisees. And they are asking him questions and trying to corner him day in and day out and get him to trip up over his teachings. And in John eight forty four. The concept of truthfulness is at hand. And Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything other than this comes from the John eight forty four evil one who is the father of lies. So when we are people who make false oaths, when we are people who do not honor our word, though we are made in the image of God, we are not imitating God in that moment. We are imitating the father of lies, the devil himself who has no truth in him and who was a liar from the very beginning. So church, this morning I'm telling you, we are imitating and imaging someone when we speak. On little things and on big things. We must, we must be a people who portrays an image of God who makes oaths and keeps them and not of Satan who makes oaths and denies them. It's one or the other. There's no such thing as a justifiable white lie. There is truth and there is false. Nothing in between. 
And I urge you in every conversation, in every interaction that you have to consider, okay, am I being a truth bearer here or am I imitating the father of lies? So now let me make some real specific application. And I'm going to give you the benefit of what I did with myself this week. Because as I encountered this text, I asked myself, okay, Edward, you're, you're a liar. I'm, I'm a liar. I have not told the truth. Okay? At some point in my life, and even recently, <laughs> little bitty things, and we're going to look at those in a moment. Why is it that I don't tell the truth? Why is it that I don't honor my oaths? And I've got four reasons. And I could go on, but we're going to keep it at four. Number one, we don't tell the truth. We don't keep our oaths because we are cowards. We're scared. We tend to tell people what we think they want to hear from us rather than the reality of the situation. And that's one reason why I have told a lie in the past because I'm fearing man and I want them to think well of me. Courage is kindly and lovingly telling people the truth as plainly and purely as possible. And we cannot sacrifice the truth for fear of what somebody's going to think about us. And so not being honest is being cowardly in some circumstances. And we must be willing to tell the truth even when it may not be received favorably by who we're talking to. We need to do it nicely and kindly, but we need to deliver bad news. And we don't need to sugarcoat it and distort it so that we will be thought well of. So let's not be cowards and tell lies. Let's be honest, courageous Christians who say yes or no, regardless of the response that we think we're going to get. Number two, I think we lie because we are selfish. I think we lie because we're selfish. We say we would do something, and then we renege when it becomes personally inconvenient. How many times have you made a pledge, I'm going to be there, I'm going to do that, And then, you know what, it's going to take a whole lot to fulfill that. And so, no one would expect me to keep that pledge. I'm not going to do that. That is self-centered thinking. Because our word reveals to us who we are imitating. Reveals to the world who we are imitating. And so, we in selfishness, when we're personally inconvenienced, renege on our vows. And that is wrong. We don't follow through with a promise, often because... We get a better offer, (laughs) right? I'll be there Tuesday afternoon. My calendar's totally clear. I can do that. And then the phone rings and the guy's got a bass boat and wants you to go fishing. And so you go break your promise instead of telling the guy that wants to go fishing, no, I've made a promise to be with someone Tuesday afternoon. I wish I could, but I can't. We break it because we got a better offer. That's self-centeredness. That's why we are not people who keep our oaths. We must not break a pledge, even when it becomes difficult to keep, even even if it causes us real, tangible loss. We should not break an oath. Number three, we break oaths because we are prideful. Maybe this goes with selfishness, but I think it's worth standing alone. We distort the truth to defame another person and promote ourselves. We make our point more emphatic. We embellish 
because we want to overcome anticipated objections. I know what he's going to say to this, so I'm going to really build it up so that he's intimidated and he's not going to counter with what is obvious to be countered with. We exaggerate our sorrows and our pain to gain more sympathy. We puff up our statistics to make good impressions. We want to be viewed as more powerful, more intelligent, or more skilled. We even exaggerate the facts as they are to make ourselves seem more humble, don't we? Number four, and this one's very commonplace. Oftentimes we are casual about the truth more than intentionally lying. We're just too casual about our oaths and our pledges. We fail to keep our word because we fail to anticipate things that could prevent us from honoring what we said. And there are some oaths that we should not be making because there are things that could get in the way of fulfilling that promise. And we're not anticipating those things. And so we break an oath. We fail to keep our word to less powerful people like our children because they really can't do something to us like our boss could. And so we tell the truth to our boss, but we're, we're quick and easy to not really honor our commitments to our children because they really can't do anything to us. And they'll understand. We'll grooze it over. No, we are to be people of our word to all people of all statures. We get so relaxed that we exaggerate the truth and we don't even know it sometimes. And let me tell you the truth. I think it's true for most of us in this room. We never blast the truth and and blow a gigantic hole in the truth with one big giant oath that we don't honor. That's, That's rare for us, I think. Instead, we distort the truth by a thousand little paper cuts. And we just grind down the truth by little shavings here and there with these little what we call white lies. And it's never this explosive, gigantic lie. It's just these little ones that over time make us to be people who are not known for being of our word. And Jesus has a word of warning for us on that. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So there's a lot of scripture here, church, about being people of our word. It's not just found here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's laced throughout the scriptures. And we will be justified by our yeses, and we will be condemned by our noes to our promises. Certain. And the mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ... Let's his yes be yes and his no be no. And he follows through exactly with what he has pledged. And there is a place here for a word of caution. Because we all think that we can distort the truth, that we cannot honor a pledge, that we can lie. And we can do it in such a way that no one knows. And I say to you, no one will know except for God himself. How many times have I stood up here and said... Secret sin on earth is, finish it for me, open scandal in heaven. I'm glad you know that phrase. It's biblical. There's many verses that say that to us. So even when we don't keep our pledges to one another, there is a God who is witnessing it and saying, that is not imitating me. That is imitating the enemy. Take this urge to be honest 
seriously this morning. Here's how I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to read from you Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 7. And then I want to, I want to show you one more passage to nail this thing home. In Ecclesiastes 5, the writer says this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should not vow and not pay, than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Write that down. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 7. And that tells you everything you need to know about making a vow and keeping it. And so with our oaths, we are actually revealing what we think about God. That's what Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 7 tells us. James, Jesus' half-brother, writes this in James 5.12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Sounds exactly like what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's where I want to land on. I've said earlier, we are to be a people that images God well. We are made in his image and we are called to imitate him in all of our activities and in all of our speech. There's a very, very important verse and I want us to turn there. This will be the last one that we look at. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1, 19 through 20 told you before, this is my favorite passage in all of the Bible. Everybody's got one. This is the one for me. And Paul is writing about the faithful God who makes promises and fulfills them every single time, starting in verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and then it goes on to say, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So we see in this passage here that God is a God who makes promises, who makes pledges, who makes oaths like we saw in Hebrews 6. And God always, always, always says yes to His promise. He's never made a promise that is no, (laughs) ever. He has always kept his word and always substantiated his oath. And look at what the Bible says about how he does this. All of his promises are always yes in his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the yes of God to us for all of God's promises. God promises us to be delivered. We're delivered in Christ alone. God promises us to be healed. We are healed only through Jesus Christ. God promises us forgiveness. And forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and yes, his third day bodily resurrection. So every 
single promise God has ever made, he has fulfilled and he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 20, the second sentence in verse 20. That is why it is through him, Jesus that is, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen is a, is a word for yes. When we close our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, we are saying in Jesus' name, yes. And so God has said yes to us through Jesus Christ, and we say yes to God through Jesus Christ. And so Christianity is a faith based on promises and pledges that are all yes. And so we relate to God through his yes, Jesus Christ. Him saying yes to us and us saying yes to him. And when we step outside and say no to our promises and do not honor them, we are saying that we are identifying in that moment, not with God the Father who sent us the Son, the yes to all of his promises. We are identifying with the adversary, Satan himself, who is the father of lies and who is a liar from the very beginning. And the first lie that we see is the one he told in the garden to Eve. You will not surely die if you eat of this tree. And he's been lying ever since. So again this morning, we come to this time where we meet with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You've not met with Edward this morning, I pray. You have heard from the Lord himself, and my words are his. I pray that I've been faithful to this passage. And Jesus has told us in these last few weeks that we are not to be angry in our heart because anger is murder. He's concerned about the heart. He's told us not to lust with our eyes because that is adultery in the heart. And he's told us today and last week that we are to be promise keepers. When we marry and we make a vow before God that we will hold, have and hold this other person in sickness and in health until death do us part. That is an oath. That is a pledge that we must say at the end of the day, yes to every single time. And here he says in everyday conversation, we are to be keepers of our promises and our oaths. And yet. If you are like me, as I've encountered this passage in this last week, I have been exposed as a liar and a murderer and an adulterer. And we come again together this morning and we see that we are sinful and in a most desperate way. And I have great news. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are guaranteed with a promise, an oath from God, that we will be saved. We will be forgiven for that transgression that is against God and man. So don't come in here this morning and hear that you're a liar because you are and leave with that. I want you to hear that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a forgiven liar. You have been proven innocent in the matter and you can live without regret for your lying, deceitful tongue. And now we are to apply what Jesus taught to us a few weeks ago. And when things cause us to lie, we're to gouge them out and throw them away. Because it's better that we lose one of our members than our whole body be thrown into hell. And so if there are things that tempt us to lie, we need to throw those things out of our life. Because we've been forgiven, we've been raised with Christ, and we now live for Him, and we set our mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And the things of above include truthfulness 
and keeping oaths because that is who God is. So I urge you this morning to audit your speech. Audit your interactions with everybody in your life, starting at home. And if there is a tendency for you to be a liar, I say whatever causes you to do that, tear it out, cut it off, and throw it away so that you can honor God with your tongue that spills over from your heart. That's the call for Jesus this morning. We are to let our yes be yes and our no be no.